The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio, and uh, it's time for Remembering Desert Storm and Desert Shield with our with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And Phil, I apologize. I just got caught up on doing some stuff in my office and let the time slip away from me. So if you don't mind, let's get started. Okay. It's good, David. I'm glad you're busy. Well, getting ready to uh, enjoy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, over the next month or so, folks are going to be taking a lot of time off. So, uh, you know, they've, they've got to get things in order. Yes, sir. So, you know, that brings up a point of, and I've always been amazed and uh, grateful for and also uh, thankful for that... Uh, the military has always tried its best, in my opinion, to um, take and celebrate the holidays as best they could, no matter where it is, uh, be it in Afghanistan or in Vietnam or wherever the case might be. They have always tried to um, bring the troops a little bit of, of home with turkeys and or pumpkin pies or whatever the case might be. Yeah, did you find that true in Desert Hill and Desert Storm? We brought our cooks with us to the desert, and uh, they did a fantastic job. Uh, and the Department of Defense resourced them adequately to uh, to give us quite a feast. So I was very pleased. It. Uh... I, I don't, you know, I can't address, and I've said this on other shows, I can't address what other countries or militaries do, but I think that, um, you know, what was it? Napoleon said uh, a military marches on its stomach, and uh, I think that uh, we've taken that literally and always tried to do the best for our men, men in the field, men and women in the field, whether it's a holiday or just any other day of the week, try to give them at least one, if not two, hot meals, and maybe even three, starting with breakfast. Yeah, and uh, and and we did eat. I'll have to say pretty well over there. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it might have been the stress or something, but I uh, I remember eating absolutely everything I could find. And um, and still came back about twenty pounds lighter than <clears throat> than when I had left. Um, so, uh, and and I did not, you know, we were not given, you know, adequate time or facilities, to, you know, to exercise. Um, and so we, you know, most everything, most every day was, you know, chock full of work and um, not. Uh, not PT, and uh, but somehow um, you know uh, I don't know if anybody else experiences, but I lost a great deal of weight there, and um, I was even able to pass my uh, physical conditioning test that they gave us. I thought that was interesting. They, you know, they sent us off to a war, and they um, 
didn't give us really any time to uh, to exercise. And then uh, at the end of the war, before we came home, they said, "Okay, now we want to test your uh, physical readiness." Huh. And of course, you know, we all said, "Readiness for what?" <laughs> we just won the war. Is that uh, somewhat bass backwards? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, but I mean, you've been in the army long enough. You, you don't bat an eye at like <laughs> You just wonder what that person way up there was thinking, huh? <laughs> yeah. Ob- yeah. Obviously was not there with the troops. What they were thinking or if they were thinking. Well, probably both. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe the latter the most. But, you know, we, uh, we do try to do as much as we, or the military does try to do as much as they can. Uh, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge job when you think about it. Uh, all the logistics of, of, uh, you know, we were, we were talking to a uh, sailor the other day and he was talking about the logistics of, he was a mariner and, um, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, when they'd come into port and everything would be stocked back up, and you know, and and the logistics of uh, well, is this for Thanksgiving or is this for just a regular deployment or you know what it was, and uh, and then the then the crew, the the chefs, and uh, all the cooks had to go to work spreading it out and distributing it to the proper storage area so they'd know where it was for whichever day they needed to be serving it. So it's it's quite a, you know, you, you sit back and you look at any branch, and that's moving a lot of folks and doing a lot of stuff for a lot of folks, even to the point of haircuts. Yeah, um, <clears throat> a lot of moving pieces. and uh, But, you know, I think uh, you were in the guard. Uh, at one point, right, David? Yes, sir. Well, I remember when I was in the guard, we used to say, this ain't my first summer camp, right? <laughs> yep. In other words, I know what to do. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I think the term now, it's not my first rodeo. But anyway, it's uh, not <laughs> my first summer camp. And uh, it uh, as uh, I was a company clerk, so... It was a, a very interesting two weeks. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, it, it is amazing when you're uh, eyewitness to it, but, uh, you know, you have to realize this isn't the first time we've sent an army across the sea to uh, prosecute a war. Mm-hmm. You get kind of good at it after a while. <laughs> What's the old term? Practice makes perfect? Yeah, but I don't think we want to practice too much more. I I uh, very concerned about the pre- present situation, but uh, uh, well, we'll address yeah. the issues when the issues need to be addressed. I guess uh, I'm all about practice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not all about war, but I am all about practicing and being ready. And uh, you know, there's another old saying, you know. The more I sweat, 
in training, the less I bleed in combat. That's, uh, you know, somehow, and as on 11 Bravo, I miss that some way or the other. But it's very true. Very true. And uh, as I've said before, you know, you wonder why are we doing this? And then years later, you'll figure out exactly why we were doing it. Because they know how to train. And that's, they're very good at it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you don't understand the, the logic behind things. And, uh, <clears throat> I, I'll just give, spin a little yarn for you here. Sure. Um, when we uh, first arrived in Saudi Arabia, uh, I was in command of a 250-man company, and um, the uh, well, uh, the our I had put out an order that people weren't to pour out water or leave standing water anywhere, and uh, somebody got back to me that you know one of, one of the soldiers was you know. Uh, uh, ridiculing this order and, you know, said I didn't know what I was talking about. And so I called him in and I remember sitting on my bunk in my tent and I said to him, look, let me explain something to you. I'm, uh, I'm responsible for 250 guys here and right now you think, you know, what could be the harm pouring out water, you know, having standing water here. Um, but I can tell you that as soon as we start doing that, we're going to start having visitors, uh, critters and things that are, are expert at finding water in the desert. And we just don't need that because that brings a whole host of health concerns with it. And, uh, so I would appreciate it if you would encourage others to, comply with this instruction which is actually recommended by our surgeon and not something I cooked up and uh, he apologized to me and went back out and, you know the surgeon wasn't wrong because you know the longer we were there the more critters showed up um, and you know some of them were innocuous and some of them were dangerous um, our safety officer was uh, you know I, I would say probably the first two months I was there I didn't see a bird not a bird hmm. um, and I thought you know I'd never been in a place like this but uh, and then as we got into uh, December um, there was uh, it started to rain a little bit, and sure enough, uh, we started getting um, birds and then other critters, and you know, of course, just uh, in our general living there, we had generated trash, and uh, that was a great temptation to the various uh, scavengers of the desert, and. Um, at one point, our safety officer, you know, was asleep in his bunk, and he woke up, and uh, he was laying on his back. He felt something on his chest. He opened his eyes, and uh, he was nose-to-nose -nose with a fox. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
foxes aren't, uh, you know, they're, they're really not that cute kind of animal you see on Disney or whatever. They're, <laughs> they're covered with vermin and um, they're, uh, they can carry a lot of diseases, not least of which rabies. And uh, so we, it, was, <clears throat> it was just a challenge to try to keep everybody uh, clean and hygiene uh, in the forefront of their mind. It was very important. But things you don't you don't think about, you know. Uh, most Americans live in a place where you know clean running water, uh, running sewers that uh, you know carry away the unpleasantness uh, are everywhere, and um, you know that's you know when you go in with an army, you go into places that don't have civilization. And that was certainly the case where we were. Wow. On that um, on that note, yeah, let's take our own. first break, uh, sir, and uh, we'll be back momentarily. All right. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And it's always a pleasure. I always look forward to Mondays and talking with you, Phil. It's, uh, there, there's always a new perspective. And, you know, if, if you were to guess and or give a, a documented fact on before we went into... Desert Shield. How fast were they preparing here for us to do that? And do uh, you feel like they had hit it on the head? They, uh, I will tell you, it, it may seem like a, a whirlwind of, uh, you know, that we, you know, drop of a hat, we were over there, but in reality, um, you know they they have different units at uh, at different levels of uh, of preparedness and and you know it all has to do with how quickly you can get everything in gear. Um, and there's some guys who you know like 18th Airborne Corps or Rangers, uh, you know SEALs. They <clears throat> they live on the edge and and um, 
you know, those those folks can't even uh, take leave except when they're uh, when it's been assigned to them. Uh, and so those guys those guys went off pretty quick. Uh, but then uh, those of us that were you know a little more labor intensive to get going, we uh, you know we needed some time. But I'll tell you that uh, they had asked us how quickly we could get going. And we told them we could we could do it in, in this much time if uh, if you know I was in a, an aerial exploitation battalion uh, we had you know aerial uh, intelligence collection platforms but at the time we were the lowest priority in all the army uh, in in terms of aerial exploitation battalions and so one of the assumptions we gave them was, you know, uh, if you want us to move real quick, you're going to have to make us the number one priority. And sure enough, they did. But we spent, uh, oh, we spent, we got our alert on the, uh, maybe it was the 10th of August, something, sometime around then, and we, we were gone. Our main body left Fort Hood on the uh, 23rd of September. And from the time we got our alert till the time we got on the plane, not one of us in the, in the battalion had a single day off. Um, and we worked from about 6 in the morning till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night sometime. Wow. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, only, I guess we got to rest on the on the flight over there. <laughs> and that can't be a whole lot of rest. <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, but uh, we went over. Um, they brought in a uh, uh, 747 uh, 200 uh, from Pan Am World Airways, the Clipper New Horizons. Hmm. They brought it into Robert Gray Army Airfield at Fort Hood, and they loaded us up, and they uh, and uh, flew us from from Killeen, uh, Texas, to uh, Bangor, Maine. Refueled us. They flew us from Maine to uh, Rome, Italy. Refueled us, and they flew us then on into uh, Tehran uh, Airport in Saudi Arabia. Wow. So he took us three legs, but the crew there uh, was just so nice to us, um, and uh, it, was, it was quite a sight. Uh, they they had me sitting up in the first class section because um, they had to fill every seat. So uh, for some reason, I I was accorded a spot up in the first class. But I remember coming back and looking through the whole. Um, passenger section of that airplane and uh, there was all, every seat filled and uh, over the back of every seat was the muzzle of an M16. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, that's something you don't see all the time on an airliner, you know, but they made sure everybody was, you know, there with their uh, with their assigned weapon and uh, first time I ever uh, rode the flight deck of an airliner, uh, on landing, the crew had invited me to, to come up and, uh, and sit in one of the observer seats uh, as we landed in Saudi Arabia. 
uh, I was sitting there back next to the flight engineer, and uh, I thought, here I am, you know, <laughs> riding the 747 full of armed passengers. Here I got my pistol slung under my arm. They've invited me up into the cockpit. I thought this is pretty interesting. Wow. I guess so. And uh, not many folks ever get that uh, opportunity. No. At all. Was, yeah. And I can remember my first thought when I stepped out of that airplane in uh, September in Saudi Arabia. Uh, all I could think of, how much are they paying to heat this place? <laughs> <laughs> their, their gas was, bill must be phenomenal, huh? It was much hotter than I'd ever experienced natural ambient heat. I can tell you that. Wow. And how long did it take you to get accustomed to it or used to it? Uh, right till I got home. <laughs> and under the air conditioning, huh? <laughs> That's right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let me ask. Do you think that uh, with it being that hot, what effect do you have, do you think it had on uh, the troops? Well, you know, we did things... You know, being kind of new to the area, we did things in a way we probably shouldn't have. Um, there was a, um, they had given us this concrete shell of a building. It didn't have any windows, it didn't have any doors in it, didn't have any electricity or plumbing, just a concrete shell like you'd see at a construction site. And uh, I believe it was destined to be the meteorological uh, station for the uh, for the airport that they were building and um, so they told us well you know we, we all just you know found a place on the floor and put our stuff down and and slept there um, you know one on top of each other but uh, we had to build ourselves a, an area to live in then we had these tents now the tents were a gift from the uh, king of Saudi Arabia. And I thought, well, we have our own tents. Why, you know, why do we need his tents? But uh, we did need his tents because his tents had a special feature to them. They had a had like a false top to them that would uh, basically kept the the actual inside ceiling of the tent uh, separated from the uh, that uh, outer shell that uh, absorbed all the heat. And so, really. You know, with, with the way this thing was set up, the, the tent was in the shade all the time, which, you know, I won't, wouldn't say it made things comfortable, but uh, it was certainly a lot better than it would have been. Um, <laughs> so we were, we were very thankful to have those, uh, those tents. But uh, we had to build all of our tents in, in the parking lot of this thing, and, and uh, they had come in and prior to our arrival uh, they were getting ready to pave this parking lot and so they had lime stabilized it so all the, the soil outside was uh, hard like concrete and uh, you know we had to we had to put uh, stakes in the ground for our tents and so we uh, we got some sort of drill somewhere I don't know where we got it but uh, it uh, we had to drill each individual uh, tent peg hole uh, with this high-powered uh, drill, and mm. uh, and then once 
we had all the tents set up. Then we had to set out. Uh, they told us we had to build a basically a, a sandbag wall around every tent, and uh, so we got commenced to fill in sandbags. But the, what we had done wrong was that all of our work we did during the heat of the day, and um, so we would be out there uh, all day. Uh, building our little uh, entombment area while the uh, while the building that we had just come out of had spent all night cooling down and then we'd be out in the heat of the day uh, working with the sun heating up the uh, the building the concrete building and then when it got good and hot and the sun went down then we'd we'd go inside and and try to get some rest in there. Um, <laughs> my point is, we probably should have been reverse scheduled. You know, maybe if we had some lights, we could have done it, <clears throat> done our work during the during the heat, during the cool of the evening. Which is really no cool of the evening, but it's cooler. And then, uh, you know, we could have slept during the day in the building where it uh, was. Uh, it's been all day cooling down, or all night cooling down. Did did anyone ever point that out to anyone? Uh, you know, I think it kind of struck me after we came home. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it was a hot place. Did, but you know, it, it it did cool down. You know, as we got like I said, as we got into December. Um, you know, we were we were wearing our jackets and uh, and it was uh, you know it, it rained a little bit, um, not a whole lot, but uh, it makes a mess in the desert when it when it rains. It, it's not <clears throat> it's not the uh, pure white stand of the Florida Panhandle, you might think. It's hmm. more kind of a cat box gravel. Hmm. You know, this is, this is one of the reasons that we play the show, and, and obviously we have veterans that are listening, but we also have a lot of uh, civilians that have never been there, never done that. And, uh, Good for them. You know, <laughs> but they need to know what what you all went through, what, you know, and, and the desert was one thing. Obviously, Vietnam was something entirely different, and, you know, our military goes where they're told to go. And uh, they adjust as best they can to the circumstances in which they find themselves. And uh, during all of that, somebody's putting out the orders to do this or do that, and uh, they do it. And this is, uh, we have the greatest military in the world. With that, we're going to take our second break, and we'll be back with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Phil Forsberg, retired, I might add, but... Uh, he's still mentally on active duty, so we'll be right back. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmv.com. 
hof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, I was getting very warm just listening to what you were describing, Phil. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, you know, had occasion to return um, to the Middle East many times since then. And um, I uh, was always glad to leave. <laughs> um, always, huh? You know, I swore when we when I left King Fahd International Airport, I swore I would never come back there again as long as I lived. And um, and then I got a job when I retired from the army, flying cargo around the world, and uh, I finished my first trip in uh, Bahrain and mm. will be right across the causeway from Saudi Arabia and so the company bought me a plane ticket home to Atlanta and uh, in the first place that plane stopped was King Fahd International Airport mm. where I said I would never return so had to eat my words there well unfortunately uh we all do at one time or the other, I guess. I, I'm just curious. You told you you were telling us that uh, you know in the winter it did get cool to the point that you'd have to wear your coat. Were they still calling them field jackets then? Well, um, of course, I wore Nomex, um, and so I had a, a, a Nomex flight jacket. Um, I don't think I ever wore. Um, the uh, BDUs or or anything like that. I, I, yeah, I guess yeah. We had the we did we had those chocolate chips. Uh, <laughs> it was a uh, <clears throat> um, you know it was it was one of the early version of uh, desert camouflage pattern, <clears throat> and uh, it, uh, it uh, we we did get those before we left, and I did wear them from time to time. Um, w- there was no field jacket to go with them, however, and uh, but you know one of the nice things that they give you it's like uh, you get all sorts of gifts when you, when they send you over someplace. Uh, 
free stuff and all the stuff they've been developing at uh, Natick Laboratories uh, where the Army, you know, develops their gear. Um, they, you know, suddenly you had all sorts of stuff you were completely unfamiliar with. They gave us goggles uh, for the sand and they gave us... Uh, they gave us these sunglasses that uh, were just painful to wear. The, I had the, the arms of them would curl around and poke into my head. But I, I think I still have them somewhere, but I would never put them on again. Hmm. <laughs> and then uh, they gave us uh, some sort of night uniform to make you look like a I don't know, camouflage you in the, in the dark. And they gave us... Uh, Sleeping uniform of you know a sleep shirt and and uh, trousers and um, so you know you could put uh, you could put your stuff together and come up with uh, something to keep you warm. I guess you know that was one of the things when we were getting our gear in uh, Fort Ord, and they issued us a overcoat. Heaviest thing I've ever seen in my life. And oh, yeah. why do we need this thing in California? Well, you never know where you might go. Right. And, uh, you may not be in California when you need it. So I uh, that's one thing I still have, just just to remember things by, you know. And it, it is heavy. Heavy, heavy. But anyway, uh, so... How did how did your how did your troops take to the uh, the the heat? And did you get many complaints about uh, you know this is just we got to do something different? I didn't uh, I didn't hear many complaints because of my own complaining at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you took care of it for yourself, huh? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't hear them because I was complaining myself. I mean, you know, what are you going to do today? You're going to talk, t- turn to the guy next to you and say, wow, it's really hot here. You know, like he didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, I guess you uh, you suffer together. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you try to get used to it. Some things, you know, you're just never going to get used to. Or, you know, you, you'd rather not think about getting used to it because it just means you're going to be there longer. And we really didn't want to be there. Uh, <laughs> that was part of the success. You know, you, you talked about uh, Thanksgiving uh, and uh, and the holidays and all. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we went over there and we had nothing but rumors to go on. And you know how soldiers don't like to deal in rumors, <laughs> but uh, we. Um, we had nothing else, you know, and uh, so, you know, they said, you know, go to Saudi Arabia after we dug out a map, found out where it was, and, you know, our next question was, well, how long are we going to be And, uh, you know, some people would try to venture a guess, and some people would, you know, say indefinite. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody would really answer. We we spent a good amount of time there, um, not knowing. It got into November, and uh, you know, I, I mean, the big question was, well, are we going to fight these guys or not? You know, well, I mean, we 
you know, just just let us know. And anyway, one day they come to me and they said, uh, "Your uh, President Bush is coming to be with the troops for Thanksgiving. So you've got to give us two of your soldiers you can spare to go have uh, a meal, uh, Thanksgiving dinner with President President Bush." So I, I said, "Okay," and I uh, I gave a one uh, specialist and one sergeant or something. When they came back, I asked them, well, you know, what did the president have to say? They said, well, there was two things. I said, okay. And he said, well, well number one, he said that uh, nobody's going home until the mission is done. No, no. The first thing he said was, nobody's going to spend a day here longer than they have to. And that, you know, made us very happy and then the, and the next thing was nobody's going home till the mission is done well, when they said that all that made us want to do was you know well just tell us what the mission is and we'll do it we uh, we you know we just want to go home and you know if we have to go kick Saddam's butt in order to go home well just tell us where he is you know um so um I can remember, uh, you know, we had CNN in our in our tactical operations center. They're always, you know, number one, uh, heading up, you know, the effort for the troops, tongue firmly in cheek. And so <clears throat> they were interviewing this guy up, you know, on the uh, near the near the border. Uh, he was a, a tank driver, and they asked him, you know, "Well, are you are you afraid?" about, you know, going into combat again. And uh, he just said to him, well, you know, I don't want to get hurt. But he said, if, if, we have to, if we have to fight in order to go home, then, you know, let's get this on. You know, and he, and he basically spoke for all of us. We, you know, we just, you know if, if this is what it's going to take, then just turn us loose and we'll finish the job for you. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't think uh, the president could have had a better message to give to the troops than the one he gave because it sure made us want to do the job. That's great. You know, I, I was thinking um, with the uh, camouflage uniform that you had for Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and I think it changed while you were there. But anyway, so you have uh, the... Desert boots, desert everything. At least there's not a whole lot. It's hard to get a real good polish on those boots, isn't it? So the spit and polish was sort of gone. Yeah, uh, I mostly used the camel dung and a mallet. Um, shine on. No, the um, <clears throat> the. Uh, Actually, the the boots. I still have the boots I wore over there. They they gave us uh, they gave us those old uh, Vietnam jungle boots. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, and you know we pointed out to them, hey, you know we're an aviation unit. You're not supposed to fly with these because you know they're half made of nylon, and uh, you know they could they'll melt in a fire or whatever. And um, so, uh, 
I don't know if we ever flew with them, but somebody had given me a pair of these uh, insulated uh, boots with, uh, I don't know where I got them, but that's, that's what I flew with there all the time. They had some sort of zipper to them. Um, yeah, we were, we were kind of a hodgepodge. Uh, my typical uniform was a flight suit, those goofy boots, and uh, a boonie hat. I had a had an OD boonie hat that I wore with my flight suit. Maybe uh, in the cooler times, I would be wearing my uh, <clears throat> my uh, uh, Nomex jacket on top of that. But uh, you know, we weren't we weren't real fashion conscious while we were in there. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, can recall uh, General Luck uh, was the 18th Airborne Corps commander, and they had, they had inserted our battalion into 18th Airborne Corps, and he, uh, uh, I had to go over to the Corps headquarters uh, to do something at the, at the intel section, um, and they, they insisted that I go over there right after my flight, I had just come back around you know, break a day from my mission, and uh, they sent me over there. I had shaved; uh, was pretty much filthy. Uh, uh, probably looked like mm, bad stuff. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, while I was over there, I was sitting, you know, doing something, and uh, General Luck come by. And, uh, you know, of course, I stood up and uh, greeted him. And he just looked at me, and he could tell because I wore the little mohawk patch on my uniform. And he, he said he said to me, Captain, you've been flying much? And, you know, <laughs> I said to him, Sir, I've been flying my ass off. <laughs> and he, he just said, Good. He walked away. <laughs> You were doing your job. <laughs> That's right. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, we're going to take our final break, and uh, we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Farsberg right after a couple of messages. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information, contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg. And I, as you were talking about the heat of being over there, that was sort of messy with candy bars, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, we, <laughs> we used to get some, uh, some care packages. And, uh, well, actually, we got a lot of care packages. Folks were all over themselves sending that stuff. And somebody decided uh, that uh, to, to tell the folks back home, don't send them any chocolate bars because it'll melt in the heat. Well, and that's true, of course. Uh, but by uh, but by December, it wasn't any real threat to our treats, and uh, we would get mail from folks that would say, "Well, you know, I would." I would send you some can- some candy bars, but they told us not to because it would melt in the heat. And uh, we thought, well, maybe they should mind their own business. <laughs> it was plenty cool. It wasn't any threat to our candy. Well, you know, that's that's a very good point and very subtly made, as a matter of fact. But you know, the public doesn't think and and the government doesn't administer information like that that uh, if you you know if you have a loved one that's serving in uh, Iraq and it's December it's cold over there too so send anything you want if it's a mid part of summer over there then don't send things that'll melt yeah sure and why you know I wonder why our government doesn't put out some uh, public information like that well you know guys gotta know like for instance guys in Afghanistan you know it gets cold there in the winter in the mountains I mean very cold and uh, you know uh, I'm sure I've never been to Afghanistan on the ground and uh, it's uh, um, I'm sure it gets plenty hot there in the summer but uh, I know it gets cold in the winter I've flown over it and mountains covered with snow you know this is uh, I don't know who I'll take it to but I think I'll take that point to somebody and uh, see if we can get some attention with it because it you know you get excited about getting the care packages and if they're all running together that sort of takes the excitement out of it yeah but and these you know, are, you know people would adjust to it if they knew it But I'm, uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'd like to take some time, David, to talk about um, the, uh, the our soldiers and sailors, our veterans uh, that uh, may uh, be having a, a difficult time uh, as we approach the uh, the holidays. Um, it, it can be very uh, nerve wracking for folks. It can bring up a lot of uh, difficult memories. Um, and uh, or can just really accentuate their uh, loneliness, um, you know. And, and we still have a great deal of problem uh, in our country with um, well, with veteran suicide. And uh, uh, 
I'd just like to uh, take this opportunity, you know, to tell folks what, you know, when you're dealing with a veteran, you know, uh, think about, um, you know, what he may be going through. Uh, if you, uh, you know, if you, if you have time or, or if you have uh, uh, availability in your home to take in a, a service member or, or a veteran or something uh, for Thanksgiving or for, for Christmas, or, uh, you know, uh, you you could contact the, the chaplain's office at your nearest military installation. If you don't live near a military installation, you could call the, uh, uh, the VA nearest VA facility and ask them uh, if they know of any veterans that uh, would, would would need a place to come and, and have a meal and, and spend some time with your family and uh, you uh, you would be doing a great service doing that because um, I know it's just the simple things that you can do that really uh, mean a lot to these guys Absolutely, and uh, you know, if, if if you can, and this may sound a little bit crazy, but if you can, if you were in Nam, see if there's some Nam veteran that needs your support or needs a, a place to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and it it comes back to the the old saying, "I've been there, done that," and it's easier for a Vietnam veteran to communicate with another Vietnam veteran than it is for even though you may be a, a veteran and and you do have things in common and I don't mean that you don't but at the same token if you can relate to areas or relate to times that that even makes it better for the for the person you've invited into your home and uh, yeah um. I'll agree with that, and also, um, you know, you can reach out to these guys. Uh, there's there's training that you can get, and uh, David, I'll I'd like to send you a uh, a link uh, for this training. But uh, it's a suicide prevention training, and, and it just helps guys uh, learn and know uh, that you know when when someone's in danger. Uh, to be able to identify it uh, and just be sensitive to these things and, and it gives you real concrete things you can do um, to, to help a vet uh, or anybody really that you know that uh, maybe uh, facing a, a, a situation where they would seriously consider hurting themselves it's, it's a tragic thing we lose way too many veterans um, that have you know, served honorably and then uh, come home and uh, feel like there's no way out. Well, I'll look forward to getting that link, and uh, we will certainly address the issue and put it out on our social media pages, and uh, also uh, we'll do a spot about it as well, and where people can find that link on uh, our website. Uh, I very much appreciate that, David. We'll uh, we'll attach it to uh, to your page and and also a veterans stories page with a little note on it that uh, uh, if you want to help, 
go to this link if you want to help a veteran and uh, are interested in some tips on helping folks here's where you go well I'll be glad to do that more than happy to do that and uh, you know I appreciate you bringing that up Phil and uh, you know I just last night we had uh, a pretty good rain and uh, every time it rains I wake up and I pray for the veterans and anybody really that are homeless or having to live through cold and rain and you know we just need to be more conscious of our fellow man and women and what we can do and you know I know you're a you're a service officer and uh, you have answers that I certainly don't have and I want to remind family members as well as veterans if they have questions about what's going on and what their benefits are go to one of your service organizations VFW if you're a disabled veteran go to the DAV go wherever you need to go the closest organization and they have somebody there that will help you and if nothing else point you in the right direction and that goes for veterans and families of veterans particularly well I don't want to say particularly but there are a lot of families that don't realize the benefits that their veteran family member has available and we reach out all the time for we don't have all the answers but there are answers out there and there are a lot of well well trained people that can answer your questions and Phil you're one of them and I thank you and salute you for the work that that you do well you know I uh I appreciate that, but I, we, you know, we do it because of the veterans, and, and uh, you know, it's uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be a veteran in order to to help veterans, but um, there's just some things that uh, it's uh, it's very difficult to um, know how to uh, relate and, and and in some cases you know the veterans just won't relate to anybody that, that you know can identify they can't identify with and um, the, you know it, it's the folks who, who don't know and um, you know they, they get this feeling that uh, nobody else could possibly know but when they see somebody who's, uh, you know, been there and speaks their language and uh, you know, has some similar experiences, then those are the kind of people that, that can minister to the needs of these folks. No question. And uh, the best thing that can happen to any veteran is to open up and talk. Get it off your chest. And the best way to do that's with another veteran. And uh, one thing you can always do is ask the question, or what, 
what do you remember best and uh, what's the funniest story you got, you know? And let that veteran get cranked up on telling stories. Well, this happened to me when we were flying over. This happened when we were doing this or doing that. And uh, they love to tell their tales. And it's important that we get grandparents and parents to be sure and tell their tales to their grandkids and kids. They are our history books today. So, with that being said, we're going to have to get out of here. I'm sorry that I was a little late and getting cranked up, but we got her in, Phil, and we'll do it again next week. Wonderful. Thank Thank you, you, sir. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.